Welcome to FitSpeak, the Fraser Valley's fitness, wellness, and endurance sports podcast. I'm Kevin Hines. We're brought to you by Wenting's Cycle and Mission. Here's your Wenting's Word of the Week. It is sprung. Once again, your Wenting's Word of the Week is sprung. We're also brought to you by TriJoy, the spirit of multi-sport. With the race season on hold, it's time to focus on the important things in life. Give your mom a phone call, spend some more time with your kids, learn to make a healthy new food, and of course, keep up with your 30 minutes of activity each day. And when we're back to normal, we're here for you. It's TriJoy, the spirit of multi-sport. On our program today, a bit of a history lesson as we'll be fit speaking with Steve Brown from Penticton. Not only is Steve a hell of a runner and a multiple Ironman finisher, Steve was one of the folks back in the early 1990s who saved the Ironman from leaving Penticton. He's also the guy who brought the ultra-distance triathlons to the Southern Okanagan. He'll be telling us about how he, as a race director, is dealing with the COVID-19 situation. And also on the show, more food for thought as we're getting seedy. ATC Mikey Ross joins us for another top five list. 60 minutes of socially responsible fit speaking begins right now. Hi, I'm Mikey Ross, coach with Abbotsford Triathlon Club, and here's the FitSpeak 99 Top 5 list. As we continue through these challenging times, there's a chance not only your fitness regime, but your diet may be taking a hit. In fact, you may be feeling a little seedy. Our last Top 5 was all about nut power, but this Top 5 shares some secrets of seeds. Tara Posnikoff, a registered nutritional consultant and triathlon coach from Toronto, just published an enthusiastic article in the latest Running Room magazine, which was my go-to source for all of the following seed facts. I wonder how many of these top five seeds you already have in your kitchen. Why not grab a handful while you listen? In no specific order, here are the top five seeds. Cook with them, munch on them, add them to your morning oatmeal. Make it a habit and see how seeds can work positively for you. Top seed number one, flax seeds. These seeds top the podium for highest levels of omega-3, but here's the thing. You have to eat ground flax seed to be able to ingest their nutrients, or they simply uh, pass on through. Among a long list of vitamins and minerals common to all the super seeds we are listing today, flax contains lignans compounds which help balance hormones and boost your immune system. Top seed number two, chia seeds. Chias are the runner-up for omega-3. They're gluten-free and high in fiber. Listing the minerals and vitamins in the chia would use up most of my top five time, so I'll just settle with its one unique talent. The chia seed skin is an excellent water retainer and can swell up to nine times its original size. If you have problems with dehydration, experiment with adding chia seeds to your next smoothie. Top seed number three, hemp seeds. They may be a little, but they pack a lot of goodness. Hemp seeds are high in omega-6 and omega-3 fatty acids and have a ton of protein to boot. Hemp seeds also have bragging rights for being one of the very few seeds with all eight essential amino acids. Research is showing that hemp seeds act like a a prebiotic for gut bacteria and assist in decreasing blood pressure. Top seed number four, pumpkin seeds. Zinc, zinc, who wants the zinc? Pumpkin seeds are packed with zinc, which is another natural immune system booster. Fun fact, these seeds also contain tryptophan, the famous amino acid that promotes a solid sleep sometimes right after a big turkey dinner. Top seed number five. Well, just as with last week, I couldn't neglect the runner-up, so we'll share the stage. Take it away, sunflower seeds and sesame seeds. Packed with a long list of good stuff, there's one difference to remember. Sunflower seed nutrients can be digested whether they're roasted or raw, but unhulled sesame seeds are the sesame seed big brother in nutrients. Soaking sesame seeds also enhances the release of their nutrients so they don't just uh, pass on through. 
So there you have it. Whether you're going nutty or feeling a little seedy, make a habit of eating these often overlooked bits of natural goodness. For FitSpeak, I'm Mikey Ross. Now, on the phone with us from his uh, studio, I guess, uh, in Penticton, we were going to meet face-to-face, but because we're uh, being good Canadian citizens and we're practicing this uh, social isolation, uh, live from his place in Penticton is Steve Brown. Steve, thank you so much for taking the time to fit speak with us. Oh, thanks, Kevin. No, it's a pleasure, and uh, hello, everybody out there, and uh, hopefully we'll pass along some information to you that uh, you may find useful. Absolutely. Now, Steve, how are you and your family uh, handling this, just uh, on a personal note, in, in the Steve Brown household here in Penticton? Uh, well, so far, it's, uh, it's good. My, my daughters, uh, of course, they all live independently. One's in Kamloops, the other one here in town. But uh, we're all having to keep our distance. And we talk on the phone and via WhatsApp or, you know, various uh, methods like that. Uh, in my household, of course, is myself and my wife. Um, it's easy for me, given, uh, given what my job is, uh, I get to stay at home pretty much as, you know, as much as I want. Anyway, it, it makes for an interesting thing because, uh, my wife and I are walking around the house avoiding each other. Um, so <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's kind of interesting, but no, all, all in all, it's good. We're, we're all healthy. Um, the nice thing is, is, uh, with my isolation, uh, I get to go out and I jump on my bike and I go and ride Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, so I'm I'm actually probably fitter now than I have been in years. How is your toilet paper situation? Well, you know what? I, I live with, uh, you know, a lady who is very organized in her, uh, shopping requirements and so on. Uh, my wife being Italian uh, is is very conscious of, you know, she makes sure that we have all that stuff. We haven't had to rush out and buy anything, particularly she keeps enough food in the house. Uh, again, being Italian, there's enough food in there. I think we could probably last for five months <laughs> and all of this. And, and I have, you know, we haven't had to rush out. I mean, we go out and we buy some vegetables and stuff like that, but yeah, we're in great shape uh, as far as that stuff's concerned. Well, it's good to hear because, uh, you know, toilet paper is one of those commodities. I mean, I was here at the Walmart yesterday morning. There was nothing. I was at the Superstore on Saturday. Um, all sold out. So, um, I mean, we're doing okay. But if this goes, you know, very much longer, we might have to have some uh, pretty creative solutions. Yeah, I, 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 Kevin, I just, I just don't get it. Um, you know, Canada and, and the U.S., we produce enough toilet paper uh, that uh, I, I don't get this whole hoarding thing. But um, and uh, I've seen various things on Facebook, which I'm sure everybody can get a laugh out of. And that is the calculation of how much toilet paper you need. Um, some of them are quite humorous. And, uh, yeah, I just I just don't get it. But uh, there you are. Okay, so before we get into, you know, all the challenges that are going to be facing you potentially as a race director, I'd like to just spend a little bit of time and talk about Steve Brown, the athlete. Uh, well, that'll be a short conversation. Um, well, I, well, Steve, I've got a long introduction for this one, actually. So this story, <laughs> I, I've been preparing for this. Uh, so the... Um, uh, if anybody doesn't know, Steve Brown, in addition to having been the former owner of Peach City Runners here in Penticton and the race director of many events here in the South Okanagan. He used to be back in the day a hell of an Ironman triathlete and a hell of a, uh, an athlete uh, just generally speaking. And the last time that I saw Steve um, strutting his athletic prowess, it was I was coming back from Okanagan Falls back into Penticton. And it was one of those hot summer days in, of course, the end of August, and I was doing the Ironman race. And at the time, I was having a pretty darn good day. But this guy, who I'd seen 
um, in the past, and I know it was Steve, he passed me on the run and he looked like he was having, you know, I was having a pretty good day, but Steve, apparently you were having a much better day. Well, yeah, well, running was my background. When any time that I did Ironman, uh, I just looked really forward to getting off the bike and uh, because running was my thing, and I can run comfortably for a long time. So uh, at least I used to be able to, not so much anymore. But, yeah, my background was uh, I was a soccer player originally, oh. and it was, and it was um, only after uh, getting a fairly severe ankle injury as, uh, as I was getting older and I was rehabbing it that I kind of discovered triathlon actually quite by accident um my my doctor told me i should uh spend some time in the pool and i couldn't swim particularly well Mm -hmm. uh even though i grew up in lynn canyon park in north vancouver and was one of the crazy kids jumping off the the cliffs and over the falls and doing all that stuff i could swim i could swim well enough to get out of the water but um yeah, so I had to learn how to swim, and then he said, well, you should be riding a bike, and that'll help sort of loosen the ankle up and so on. And I kind of started doing all of that, and then Penticton, and, you know, we're back now in about 1984, I guess, something like that. And uh, Penticton was, you know, just starting to really get into the triathlon scene. Mm -hmm. And somebody mentioned about this Peach Classic triathlon. And it was called the Beach Classic at that time. Beach with a B. Yeah, B with a, yeah, as in beach, yep. And so I just, for a laugh, I just thought, okay, hey, maybe I should try that. So I did. And uh, I went and did it. And I thought, wow, that was really fun. And uh, so then I got into it. But then I had started to really start to work on my running again because I had delusions of grandeur of coming <laughs> back and, play, uh, and, and playing soccer again, right. uh, which never happened. But uh, I, I did become reasonably accomplished runner and, uh, and kind of went from there. And then the triathlon bug just kind of struck me and so and as it turns out i mean i've 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 done um uh what six of these things uh four here in canada and two in hawaii yeah i was at your uh, store back in the day and i think i saw a couple of pictures of you finishing is would that be correct finishing in hawaii yes that's correct yeah i did it in 19 19- uh, we're, we're going back now. I got in, Kevin, in the days when it was easier to get in because of the roll downs, right? And Penticton at the time had, you know, 140 spots to give away. Right. Uh, but, uh, you know, 1989 was, uh, was the first time I did Hawaii. And then, uh, and then I did it again in, um, uh, 1994. So uh, anyway, so I've had my experiences with that, and uh, that was pretty cool, and you know, and uh, that so you, was really it. That as far as my running or as far as my athletic career goes, other than in Penticton here, I you know, and in the Okanagan, doing lots and lots of running. Yeah, I, I got to ask you since you're one of these people who who have walked the walk, so to speak. So you've done Penticton uh, quite a few times. You're also you know, fortunate, I guess, to go to Kona. Um, which course do you think is harder and tell me why? Well, yeah, you know what? I've been asked that question a, a, a number of times. And, and yeah, because be most of us are never going to race in Hawaii, but you have, so. Yeah, well, it, do you know what? They're, they're different. Uh, and and to say one one is harder whatever is is really difficult i quite honestly i find every iron man race hard uh so oh yeah if you're doing it right <laughs> yeah yeah so um you know in hawaii you've got you know you got the winds you've got uh you've got the heat and humidity and um you know so so that adds an element to it that's that's quite different um, you know, here in Penticton, of course, we have 
you know, a, a fairly iconic bike course. And, uh, um, but, you know, probably overall, I, I didn't find them to be hellishly different. Here's the thing that's interesting uh-huh. is that my, my times in Canada, my times in Hawaii were almost the same. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, so within minutes of, of one another kind of thing. So well, that's kind of interesting. Um, yeah. Well, I, I find that it's just, uh, you know, um, uh, I can only go at a certain speed uh, yeah. <laughs> because I'm, I'm a brutal swimmer and an even worse cyclist. And I just, <laughs> I just wait to get on the run and I've had great runs in, in all of the races and then, mm-hmm because that's that's just the way I'm built. So, um, yeah, it's kind of interesting. And I, I would also say that maybe perhaps one of the things that would have made the race in Kona more difficult than in Penticton is that when you get to the finish line, you have to hear Mike Riley instead of Steve King. And, of course, we know Steve King is the best race announcer in the world. <laughs> well... There's no question, and and I wholeheartedly support that. And as you know, when we've uh, when we had uh, Mr. Riley here in Penticton one year, there was a massive outcry about it. Uh, you know, as you say, Steve King is uh, is the best at uh, at that particular game, and uh, why anybody would you know want to listen to you are an Iron Man. 2,000 times in a day uh, <laughs> is beyond me. But anyway, you know, whereas Steve King, you know, he makes everybody who comes across the finish line feel like they're special and he seems to know everything there is to know about him. And and just so that you know, those of you that may not have heard him at, at other events, I mean, he does that same thing. It doesn't matter if he's announcing at a 10K race here in Penticton. Yeah. It, it's just amazing. He makes every athlete feel special. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, Mike Riley, you know, hats off to him. He's been doing it for, for quite a while. I think, in fact, I heard in an interview his first time doing an Ironman race was back in 1989. And, of course, Steve had been doing interviews for, you know, probably or interviews, uh, you know, races for probably a decade before that because we know of Steve's uh, introduction to race announcing just being alone at the finish line because he is so fast compared to the rest of the athletes. He just decided decided to pick up a microphone and the rest they say is uh canadian triathlon history yeah no that's exactly right it was in uh you know in our running races in the interior road race series um uh you know steve was you know an excellent excellent athlete an excellent runner and uh yeah we'd get to the finish line and and you know uh, it'd, it'd be fairly quiet so he'd just pick up uh handheld megaphone kind of thing and start, you know, calling people in. And as you say, the rest was history after that. It just, it just grew and grew and grew. Yeah. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. So um, speaking of crazy things, um, whatever possessed you to become a race director? I mean, that's, that's a pretty tough job. Well, it was, um, uh, it was really more by accident than, than choice. I had uh, become aware in Penticton at the time, and through Steve King as much as anything, uh, there was a group that were putting together triathlons. And again, this was ties back into when I was injured playing soccer and kind of getting back into the rehab thing and trying triathlon. Mm-hmm. Um, the local society, the Ironman Canada Race Society, had been established. And they were putting on both Ironman, or at that time it was the Great Canadian Ultra, um, but they were and in the processes of trying to get the license to become Ironman Canada, mm-hmm. uh, dealing with Valerie Silk and Earl Yamaguchi, uh, who owned it at the time uh, in Hawaii. And uh, they were putting that race on. They were also putting on the Beach Classic. And uh, they needed they wanted somebody on the board that had uh, some accounting and finance background. And of course I've got a degree in accounting. Um, 
So they asked if I would mind sitting on the board. Hmm. So so I joined the board uh, of that society, and uh, it would have been around 1985, I think, something like that. And uh, we, and so I became part of the board that was in place at the time that we secured the first Ironman Canada licensing agreement. And, uh, you know, an Ironman Canada was, uh, the, the name Ironman Canada was born at that time. Uh, out of that, um, as I say, we'd been the ultra triathlon in Penticton uh, up until then. And, uh, yeah, so I, I sat on the board for uh, a number of years. I left the board in around 1991, right after the race, I think, in 1991. And it was the following year, uh, and, I left, and I left the board at that time over uh, a disagreement, quite honestly. I didn't agree with what uh, Iron Man, the owners, Valerie and, and Earl were going to do with the licensing agreement and assign it um, privately. Mm. Uh, and uh, because I didn't, uh, I wasn't comfortable with uh, their arrangements as to what they were doing financially. So I stepped away from the board. Then in 1992, I think, as everybody knows, the you know, the caca hit the fan, yes. and and uh, it looked very much like uh, Penticton was going to lose Ironman. And anyway, I, I'd stepped aside, and I got a phone call um, from some of the board members, and they called me up and said, would you come back and help put this thing back together? <laughs> And I said, at first I said, no, I didn't want anything to do with it. And then they kind of convinced me that if I didn't, that it was very likely that we could lose the whole thing. So so anyway, they talked me into it. And I went from going to sit on the, sit in on the negotiations that they were going through uh, with the Bregmans, who were the folks that ended up owning the license through various things. And uh, I ended up actually ending up being the guy sitting at the table with the Bregmans to work out an agreement uh, to keep Iron Man here in, uh, here in Penticton. And then, and then by default, uh-huh. it, it rolled from that into them saying, okay, well, you know, now you can be the race director. <laughs> and I'm going... Well, well, hang on. Mm. <laughs> that, that wasn't sort of part of the plan. Yeah. And uh, anyway, that's what happened. Uh, and of course, in 19, you know, then that year, 1992, we had to do everything that we could to pull this community together, to pull the race back together. Um, and uh, with the help of, uh, of WTC, who by then had uh, owned, purchased Ironman Worldwide. Now, was that Graham um, Fraser's organization? No, oh, okay. no. Graham, Graham was a race director in Ontario doing his, his series. No, WTC, World Triathlon Corporation, um, was, was owned by... Um, uh, damn, I can't remember his name at the moment, but he, he uh, uh, basically, he held that. Okay. Uh, and he, he was a dentist, I believe, down in Florida. But they had, uh, he purchased that from Earl and, uh, and Valerie Silk. Um, and, uh, and, and at that time, that's when it was starting to explode a little bit. There were races coming on around the world other than the original five or six right yes but anyway with with their help uh and the people here in the community and this community rallied big time uh to pull this all together we actually ended up in in a situation where we were down to one week in which to pull together at that time we needed a hundred and twenty five thousand dollars that we needed needed to come up with within one week 
in order to pay for the licensing fees and to have the money in place to pay the pro triathletes. And if we didn't, for the prize money, right? So Mm -hmm. if we didn't have that money, if we couldn't pay the licensing fee and we couldn't pay the pros, the license was going to get yanked. Right. And so we rallied the community together. The hotel motel owners in this community, who are the people that we really went after because they obviously, you know, had a lot to lose without the race. And they stepped up. By the end of the week, we'd actually raised $142,000. So it was, uh, it was a Herculean effort by a number of people. And, um, you know, and the great support of the uh, Hotel Motel Association and, and uh, all of those people uh, at that time. And we managed to pull it all together. So anyway, 1992, I ended up being a race director. <laughs> And, 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 and since then, you've uh, you've branched out. You've been doing uh, a bunch of other stuff. I mean, um, you were also connected with, uh, and still are connected with the um, well Ultraman turned Ultra Five Twenty K race. Um, tell us why you wanted to bring the Ultra Distance Race to the South Okanagan. Well, after the nineteen ninety two Ironman race. I was uh, I was kind of forced out and uh, by uh, some local people that for whatever reasons uh, didn't didn't want me to continue running uh, the race here in Penticton. So in 1993, some other friends of mine came to me and said, "Hey, Steve, would you mind uh, taking a look at putting on this event?" Uh, called Ultraman out of Hawaii. And I said, and I knew about it mm-hmm. because back in the early days, I don't know if you remember Lynn Van Dove, who was the one who actually, you know, was really instrumental in bringing Ironman to uh, the Penticton. She had also brought another race here to Penticton called Earth Journey. Earth and Journey. Okay, that's, that's new to me. What's that? Well, basically it was uh, what became the sort of Canadian version of, of Ultraman. Okay. And so Lynn brought that race here and which at the time everybody just thought, Oh, that's just craziness. And, um, but, uh, anyway, she ran that race for, for a year or so, or two years, I think it was. And then it just kind of faded into obscurity. And then in 1993, like I say, I was, again, I was sitting at home, uh, minding my own business. Uh, and, and in fact, I was actually, uh, the, here's an obscure fact for you. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually in the processes of considering a, uh, a career in politics. Oh, wow. And, um, I had actually joined the then reform party and, uh, I was, uh, seriously considering a run at, uh, at, federal politics. And uh, anyway, then these friends of mine um, came and rescued me. (laughs) Good, good word choice, Steve. (laughs) And asked me if I'd consider putting on um, this Ultraman race. And it was really funny because I I was sitting at home and I'm saying, oh, I don't know. I don't know if, you know, whatever. And they and they said, well, we've already picked out a course and, you know, we'd like you to see it and all the rest of it. And I said, OK, fine. I said, um, when when do you guys want to do that? Because these were friends of mine out of Vancouver. Are they still and, friends? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so when do you want to do that? And they said, well, we can be at your house in about 10 minutes. We're actually calling you from the uh, gas station down at the bottom of the hill. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Leap of faith. And I said, oh, okay. (laughs) And they took me out. uh, They came and got me. We went out for a very, very long car ride. (laughs) Uh, They took me around, showed me what they had in mind. And I'm just going, oh, this is insane. And, uh, but they said, Hey, no, you won't believe how much fun it is. And and so on. You know, Kevin, you've done the ultra. So you know what it's, what it's kind of morphed into. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I went out and I, I said to him, okay, I'll put it on one year to see what 
you know, how it goes. Well, we did that race in 1993 uh, for the first time. It was a blast. I just had so much fun. Uh, the closeness, the camaraderie, uh, you know, that whole family feeling as we often talk about in, yeah. in the ultra, everything. It just captured me and I just thought, this is cool. And it was so different to what Iron Man was. Mm. Um, and I just, uh, yeah, I just fell in love with it, you know. And so here we are, you know, 2020 and, um, you know, uh, we're still going. Yeah. Well, um, and what a history. I mean, that race has been on, it's been off. It's uh, then you, you know, back, I think around 2016, 2017, you were thinking of maybe pulling the pin. And then all yeah. of a sudden there's this upsurge in interest and i mean that that could be a chapter in a, a huge book about triathlon in penticton wouldn't you say yeah well it was it was really strange because the ultra was kind of ahead of its time to be honest in, in 1993 and we ran it for a few years and i mean i ran it a couple of years there where we only had like six people in the race uh-huh. and um you know but again we had fun because it was such a close-knit group and all the rest of it were you know all rolling around you know the south okanagan Similkameen and for three days and and doing this craziness and it was um, uh, and it was just really, really a good time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but then, you know, financially it didn't make any sense. Yeah. So, so we suspended it for a few years and then I brought it back and we kind of ran it for another year or two. And again, not getting the numbers mm -hmm. then in around 2003, I think it was something like that, where it, um, we put it on and all of a sudden we were getting, uh, the numbers seemed to kind of settle in that we were getting in around 15 people mm -hmm. kind of thing. And so we were able to kind of keep it going at that. It made, you know, it made sense to kind of do it and it was fun to do. And, uh, and we carried on. And then in 2014, uh, that I put on the last Ultraman Canada race. Right. With that I, branding. That yeah, with that branding, mm -hmm. and uh, and I left at the end of that. I announced at the end of that year I was going to go on my own, and and uh, I established Ultra Five Twenty K. That went on for a couple, you know, a couple three years, and then I sort of got to the point where it was like, geez, do I want to keep doing this? And and again, because these things are not financially, you know, nobody's paying off their mortgage with it. Let me tell you that. Okay. <laughs> and I thought, geez, do I want to keep doing this? And so I thought, you know what, maybe it was time for me to, uh, to step back and, and go and do something else. So we made the announcement that I was looking at, at uh, retiring, uh, mm -hmm. that we were going to, you know, in a year or so. Kevin, it just, it, the most bizarre thing happened. We made that announcement, mm -hmm. and then that year, the at, at the end of the year, and I give a lot of credit, I will say this, a lot of credit to Natalie Grant, who does my social media. Uh -huh. She had come on board, and she did uh, Facebook Live streaming for us. Um, and I, and I got to admit, I do not know anything about all that kind of thing. But anyway, Natalie came in. She was streaming this stuff live. By the time we'd finished that race in uh, 2017, I believe it was, we had enough applications had rolled in over the weekend that we were basically full for two years. Wow rolling out now I, now you know this is for a race where we'd only been getting you know like 15 16 17 applications kind of thing yeah. and all of a sudden all of a sudden i was looking at 60 applications in 
for the race. And I'm going like, holy smokes. Yeah. And it, it was really funny because it's one of those things when people realize that something is likely to be taken away from them, yeah. all of a sudden they want it. Yeah, so we had all, all these people that said, hey, this is on my bucket list. I've always wanted yeah. to do this and so on. And then they jumped in. Mm-hmm. And so there you are. And, and so I went, oh, okay, well, if that's the case, then I'm prepared to kind of continue doing it for as long as the race gets support, mm-hmm. you know, like that, I'm, I'll, I'll be prepared to put it on because I enjoy doing it. And it was interesting, Kevin, because that same phenomena happened here in Penticton um, with the Skahaw Lake Ultra Swim. Yes. You know, that race was suspended for whatever it was, about 10, 12 years, something like that. Yeah, the numbers then, just dwindled and dwindled and dwindled and then... People yeah, wanted yeah. to go long. Yeah, and and it was really funny because they always struggled to get enough people to come and do it, and then it was suspended for twelve years. And then when he came back and said, "Hey, we're going to put the ultra swim back on for you know," and it's limited to a hundred, yes. the damn thing sells out in in the space of three weeks. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good lesson for all race directors to, to keep in mind. I mean, you know, creating that element of scarcity. This thing ain't going to be around forever. So if you want to do it, you know, uh, send us your credit card information and we'll get you in the race. Yeah, well, that's right. I mean, you know, you can't assume anymore that, you know, these races are just going to be there forever and ever. Um, because they may not be. And so, you know, if, if as an athlete, you're interested in taking on one of these kinds of challenges, then you need to step forward and and say, okay, Hey, I'm going to go do this. And, you know, um, so anyway, so it's a good lesson. Yeah, there you are. That's kind of a little bit of a history of how, how we got to this point. So what would be, Steve, you think maybe your your proudest moment as being a race director? Uh, to be honest, I would say pulling together that 1992 Ironman. People have no idea what it took. Pull that um, uh, out, out of the dumpster and get that thing up and going and uh, uh and that it was an amazing effort it, um you know and again not just not by just by me but by this entire community mm-hmm. yeah that it made me very very proud of the people in Penticton for you know for <clears throat> their support and what they did and how everybody kind of responded to it and I was just as proud of many of the athletes who were equally worried about whether there was going to be a race, whether it was going to continue, mm-hmm. all those kinds of things. And a lot of the athletes, um, you know, they stuck with us and uh, gave us great support. So it was a really, really a great all-round effort. And so I I look back at that and I just marvel actually at times when I think, holy cow, if people only knew how bad it really was. Yeah, the and, stuff behind the yeah. scenes that nobody other than, you know, those select few who are scraping by to, to make this thing happen with minutes left on the clock, that's that's got to be yeah. a, a pretty gratifying moment. Yeah. One of the, we're living in strange new times with this COVID virus. I'm thinking from a a holistic perspective, and this was one of the things that you had just mentioned not more than a couple of minutes ago. I mean, don't take these races that you're doing for granted because you're never too sure when this, you know, when that race you want to do or, you know, quite frankly, the ability to race period outside in the real world just might be yanked away from you. And uh, I know that uh, as a race director, you've got uh, obviously some skin in the game. You're the race director for now the Peach Classic here in Penton. You're the race director still for the uh, Ultra 520K race. Now, how are you responding to all of this stuff that's going down? What we've done at the moment, Kevin, is first of all, for for the Peach Classic, we'll deal with that because that's the easy one. Um, we're kind of taking our direction uh, through triathlon bc uh you know who are being i guess kind of directed by triathlon canada and so on and that just all kind of rolls downhill so we're kind of being um 
dictated to by that. And I'm sure at those levels, everybody's kind of trying to figure out, okay, are people even going to be able to travel? Are they going to be able to come here? Are we going to be in a situation where we can have larger gatherings again? So there's a lot of questions around that. And, you know, and right now you see the whole thing going on with the Olympics. That's all just, and um, so, you know, we'll see what, what happens with all of that. So the Peach Classic, as I say, is kind of being dictated to us uh, through those sanctioning bodies. So we, yeah, and we just have to follow whatever it is that they're going to do. What we'll do, I mean, if uh, to be honest, what I'm seriously looking at for the Peach Classic is that if we end up having to um, uh, cancel the race for this year, we're just going to keep registration open and we'll just keep on rolling it right through to uh 2021 and um hopefully get a get a nice big crowd here in 2021 you know so um so yeah i'm just waiting on kind of what what tri bc wants to do because they're the ones that ultimately they control the sanctioning and the insurance and all Mm -hmm. those kinds of things Wow, it sounds like a lot of a lot of heavy thinking, a lot of heavy decision making coming up for you and your organization here for the next couple of weeks. Yeah, well, you know, and and race directors all over the province are dealing with these different things. the The thing is, you know, and what people often don't realize is that you know we've already ordered, and in fact, in many cases, paid for the products and and stuff that are required to put these races on. So there's only so much you can do, you know, with 500 swim caps, Um, (laughs) you know, so so you got to be able to use them and, uh, you know, and same with various finishers, garments and, you know, trophies and this and that, so on and so forth. So, you know, a lot of the money is already spent and uh, so, you know, you just kind of have to keep pushing forward. And it's just basically going to be a matter of, you know, is it going to be now or is it going to be later? Right. And if anybody can uh, put this all together in light of the crazy, you know, uh, situation we're in, it's going to be Steve Brown because he's you know, he's, a, he's a crafty, wise and uh, uh, a very uh, resourceful kind of race director, I would say. Well, thank you for saying that. But uh, I think. I think all race directors uh, are pretty much in in that same same boat because we're all faced with many of the same same issues for sure. Well, um, you were telling us a little bit earlier about uh, an aspiring career in politics, and it's kind of funny you played into this trap wonderfully because uh, if, if you had a chance to look, I've got uh, the last three questions dedicated to Steve's soapbox. So here's an opportunity for you to tell the world uh, what you're thinking. So first of all, as a race director, um, not necessarily connected to the COVID crisis, but one thing that I love to ask the race directors is if you could say one thing to athletes in general whether that's a running race whether that's a triathlon um what would you want to say to athletes coming from a a race director's perspective um well i would say love what you do and no whinging athletes go into this uh you know you come into the sport and you do all this training and you do whatever um, and, uh, you know, you've got to love what, what you're doing and enjoy it and enjoy the other athletes, enjoy the camaraderie and the friendship and, uh, you know, all of the social things that come out of it. And of course, the sense of competition and, and the satisfaction of doing well, doing your best. Um, you don't have to run around and compare your results to everybody else's results so long as you've gone in and done your best uh, and uh, you've performed as well as you can on on the day. And uh, so they they need to, you know, athletes need to keep that in perspective and enjoy that. Don't don't be beating yourself up worrying about what everybody else's results are. So that would be the one thing I would mm-hmm. I would say to athletes, and and the the other the other thing is is don't complain too much, and until you've been in a race director's shoes, and until yeah. you've been in a situation where you're putting these events together and all of the moving pieces, mm-hmm. it's 
a difficult thing. There, there's no question. And so, you know what? Give the race directors support. Don't complain to them. Give them some support. And if they need to, uh, you know, if, if you see things that you think need to be improved, then step forward and say, hey, I'm prepared to help you improve that. Right. And, and, you know, don't just complain about it. Don't, you know, expect somebody else to go and fix your problems, right? Mm -hmm. Go, you know, go and help fix them. Yeah, be part of the solution. Don't just, you know, add to the burden of, you know, um, I was talking to to Joe Dixon not that long ago, and he was, of course, a a race director here in the Okanagan and around the province for for a number of years. And it's funny, uh, I was saying to Joe, you know, your role as a race director, that's, that's almost like being a politician because, you know, you get blamed for so many of the things that are so beyond your control. I mean, if the weather turns bad, if, uh, you know, something goes wrong with the food at the the party, if, uh, you know, a volunteer isn't there to direct people at the right spot in the race course, it all falls on the race director's shoulders. And, you know, for a lot of this stuff, it's like, well, what the hell am I supposed to do about it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and there, you know, the race directors have to you know, uh, be flexible and, and have to be diplomatic, uh, when they can be and, uh, and so on and, and to not lose it as well. Uh, but certainly anybody in the sport and, and this is kind of just sort of a little bit on topic and off topic. Mm-hmm. The reality is, is that a lot of us are getting older. The one thing that we're finding more and more is that we're not getting younger people stepping up to help organize and put these events on. We're finding athletes seem to have this attitude that they're going to be athletes. Um, you know, somebody else is going to be the volunteer and put these races on. And I think, you know, the difference is, is people from my generation, we were so new and young and stuff in this sport the reality was is that if we didn't step forward and if we weren't the volunteers and and uh, putting these things on and organizing the races there wouldn't have been any races mm-hmm. because there, w- there was nobody else to do it yeah you know it, we're starting to run into that point you know we're all getting a little bit older i'm gonna i'm 69 this year the hell you are you lo- you're you're looking like 62 steve come on <laughs> yeah yeah, don't I wish. Yeah. But, you know, we're we're getting older. We're getting tired. We can't huff the, the equipment around the way we used to be able to. And, you know, the energy levels and stuff, you know, are, are just not quite the same. Yeah. Uh, and so it's uh, it's it's an interesting thing. We just need more young people uh, stepping forward, young athletes that, you know, do as many races as you can, but you know what, find a race you can uh, volunteer for. Yeah, I mean, this is what the, you know, the sport of triathlon is built on, you know, the race directors, um, perhaps Penticton is the exception because it's got the iron army that's been around and tends to be, you know, uh, a uh, a force of nature every August, but uh, you know, for every other place around the province, around the country, for that matter, I mean, you need the volunteers, but you also need the the next generation of race directors who are willing to take the the risks that are uh, necessary in doing one of these things and uh, just going for it. Because you're you're quite right. I mean, a lot of the folks who are re- uh, directing these races, yourself. I mean, we've got uh, John Salt there out in. Uh, Eastern Canada, and you know, you guys aren't getting any younger. No, no, and you know, I mean, we still love to do what we can do, but yeah, uh, I, I just worry. I, I worry for the sport um, because we need the younger people stepping up and and doing this. That's that's what I'd like to see. So, um, so that we feel, you know, we're we're kind of the first generation of doing this stuff and it'd be nice to step step along and see the next generation coming along and taking this thing over and taking it to another level okay quick a quick few questions to end off the interview steve this segs into uh the what you just said so if you could say three qualities of a good race director three qualities of a good race director what would those three qualities be 
first of all, you need, you know, I, I think you, you need to be relatively calm. You need to be analytical uh, in what you what you do. Having an organized an organizing ability, and the other thing that I think that it's critical, not necessarily for the race director to but have somebody within the organization mm-hmm. that has a financial understanding of what you're getting yourself into because you can get yourself into financial difficulty in a real hurry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially now with all the risks and the insurance and the liabilities. So yeah, thank yeah. you so much for that advice, Steve. And the one question we also haven't prepped you for, but we ask every one of our guests here on FitSpeak, you ready for it, Steve? Take a deep breath. Here it comes. If you could be an animal other than a human being, what kind of animal would you be? And tell us why. Uh, well, that's uh, that's a darn good question. Yeah, I don't know. The problem is, is that most animals end up in the food chain, uh, and, and 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 that's not how I want to end up. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. You know what? You, you know what I kind of like. I, I I like our um, uh, our marmots. I love marmots. They're 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 all fat and pudgy, and they run around and they eat stuff. And you know, and and when people come, they just go and hide in their hole. Yeah. And they they just they're just kind of a cool animal. To, um, you know, a little bit stupid at times because they get run over on the roads a lot. But, oh, my uh, goodness. <laughs> but there you are. <laughs> okay. So Steve Brown, athlete and marmot, if he was to be an animal. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. Thank you so much for, for taking the time on this Monday morning to talk to us. Uh, I'm wishing you and your family there uh, up on the hill in Penticton the, the best of luck and the best of health as we uh, muddle through this crisis and uh, certainly appreciate you taking the time to speak with us, Steve. Yeah, thank you very much, Kevin. And, you know, a word to everybody out there, keep your distance, wash your hands and be safe. And, uh, you know, we look this year might be a bit of a washout for us, but you know what? Next year we'll all be back together again. And that's it for another edition of FitSpeak, the Fraser Valley's fitness, wellness, and endurance sports podcast. FitSpeak is brought to you by Wenting's Cycle and Mission. Your Wenting's Word of the Week is sprung. Once again, your Wenting's Word of the Week is sprung. We're also brought to you by TriJoy, the spirit of multi-sport, reminding you to keep your social distance, call your mom, along with the people closest to you, and to keep up with that 30 minutes of activity each day. I'd like to thank my co-host Mikey Ross, and also like to thank Steve Brown and wish him the best of success and health in this most unusual year. Join us next time on FitSpeak, as we'll be speaking with an athlete who went undefeated in all his triathlons last year. Brentwood Bay's Robert Johnson will be our guest. For all of us at FitSpeak, I'm Kevin Hines. Thanks for listening.